0: Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I'm your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for joining me. One thing that has been making me happy this week is it is National Novel Writing Month, aka NaNoWriMo, and I am doing it this year. As, as many of you know, it was a tough decision because, of course, there's the book I'm supposed to be writing, but I really, really wanted to spend the month working on this other side project that I am so excited about. And here we are maybe about a week in and it's going really well. I'm definitely behind on the word count, but not so far behind that I can't get caught up. And it's just been really nice working on something fun and different that you know, doesn't have all the pressures of publication associated with it. So, shh, don't tell my publisher that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But regardless, it has been so much fun. So, if you are also doing nano this year, I hope that you are enjoying it, and I hope that your word count is going great. But if it's not, don't worry. We've got this. We can do it. I, I believe in you, and I am here cheering for you. And of course, I am so happy to be talking to today's guest. She is the New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen books for middle grade readers, including the Theodosia and Nathaniel Flood Beastologist series. She is also the author of the His Fair Assassin trilogy, which is a young adult historical fantasy series that just happens to be one of my personal all-time faves. I love this series so much, you guys. More recently, she has completed a companion duology, which consists of Courting Darkness and Igniting Darkness, which came out this past August. Please welcome Robin LeFevers.
1: Hello, hello. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm feeling all pumped after listening to your intro. I'm ready to go out and like write a thousand words in the next 10 minutes, so you got me. (laughs) I know it's kind of it was a
0: little pep talky today, but I'm really I had a great writing day this morning and so I'm just like feeling it. I'm in the moment. I'm in the groove.
1: Yeah well, you infected me. That's great. That's what I'm gonna do when we're done here.
0: Good. I know yeah, let's hang up. Uh, we'll come back to this later. Go get your words <laughs> done. <laughs> no, um, it is so good to talk to you. You know that I am a huge huge fan and and I just really love your books and I'm so glad that you were able to make time to come on the podcast today.
1: Well, you are so sweet to invite me, and I'm so glad to hear you like the book so much. Um, you are just, you are like a force in the whole community, so I'm just in awe of all that you do and kind of watch from afar, gape mouth, as you juggle 70 different balls. But anyway, <laughs> well, thank so, you. <laughs> mutual admiration society.
0: Thank you. I gonna I want that on a, a bumper sticker, a force in society. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> um so Robin why don't we start out with you telling listeners about your newest duology uh Courting Darkness and its sequel Igniting Darkness
1: well so when I had first finished the His for Assassin trilogy I knew that I needed a pretty long creative break because the debt as you well know the deadlines can be kind of of crushing and these books were not light or short books they come in they come in long like anywhere from 120 to 130 thousand words but 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 i also that's after i trim them down considerably so they're not and there's a lot of research so i was pretty ready for a creative break but the muse had other ideas and just kept whispering to me it was mostly sabella at first kind of saying you know the sabella for those of you who don't know is the heroine of the second book in the trilogy, *Dark Triumph*, and is probably the most um, wholly sprung from out of who knows where character I've ever written, and also the most angry. And um, hmm, what's the word you would use for her? Fierce. Fierce, yes, Ferocious. and <laughs> yes, and anyway. So I have her voice whispering in my ear, telling me, "You know what? You never really finished my story. You—I mean, you got me to a better place, but I'm still sort of hanging there. I've got all this family who's still." circling you know i'm really not done and pay attention here and i was like yeah but yeah but i'm tired and my wrists hurt and my back hurts and but and then after a while when she wasn't talking to me another voice started talking to me and it took me a while to figure out who she was because she was this character i had mentioned in mortal heart the third book of the trilogy as just a throwaway line truly um about a girl who had been sent to the french court at 12, to be a deeply buried mole and report back to the convent, only the convent kind of forgot about her. And she was talking in my ear, wondering about, well, so why have they never contacted me? Do they not believe me? Why have they not? What, what the heck's going on? So I had these two voices talking at me. And that is actually how many of my stories come to me. I start hearing dialogue. I start hearing characters' voices. And I might not have any idea who they are, but this voice just... Um, is so real to me and that's how it was with both of those characters and that second one her name turned out was Genevieve and um, she was feeling very betrayed and alone she'd been sent to France with her best friend Margot who had kind of given up on the convent and was kind of getting totally sidetracked by the whole French court life and politics and romance and um, Genevieve was about at the end of her rope and I feel like I lost track of what the question was (laughs)
0: Um mostly
1: just want what are what are the books about? And okay, so so these so these two assassins, these are two two daughters of death in the book the premise is that girls who survive birth trauma and sur- are considered to be sired by the god of death who in these books is actually a real god who is now called saint by the Catholic Church as so many of the earlier pagan gods and goddesses were. Um and they've just in the first trilogy they completed this great big political goal they needed to do, which was to um well see I have to be careful not for spoilers. Anyway
0: <laughs> it must be really hard talking about these books because so much of it relies on the first three but the, the original trilogy.
1: It really does. And in fact there's some people who have said that this wasn't a separate duology. This was you know his first assassin number four and five and we actually talked about it back and forth with the publisher and we we, we realized an argument can be made either way. Um, so anyway Sibella is accompanying the young, the 14-year-old Duchess of Brittany to France, where she is to, big spoiler alert, marry the French king. Um, Because France and Brittany have been enemies for so long, they're not really excited about sending her alone to the French court, especially because the regent of France has been her bitter enemy for years. But Sabella is fierce and an assassin and is likely to punch you or stab you if she is to have any kind of diplomatic conversation with you. So this is a huge shift for her and her skills. And she's kind of of going to have to blind to all sorts of skills she hasn't ever used before. Um, And Genevieve in the meantime is getting ready to like turn the tables over. She doesn't understand what's happening. She's just learned that the Duchess is getting married and, so the King of France was just something she thought she was always supposed to, the convent was supposed to keep from happening. And I am really botching this um, description. <laughs> anyway, no, so...
0: complicated books. It, it, there it, are complicated it, books. So, so basically,
1: yes. And so basically, there's this two threads. Sibella is trying to keep the Duchess safe in the French court and keep her from having the French enemies that have been there all along from completely undermining her, her queen, her reign as queen. And Genevieve is trying to figure out why the heck she hasn't been called up and trying to find some way she can help and be useful and comes up with a plan that she's sure um, will be helpful to the queen if she can just get to where she is. But that's going to be the hard part. And then, of course, she discovers this mysterious prisoner in the dungeons of the castle where she's staying and they sort of form this uneasy alliance and, and then things just get very complicated from there.
0: More and more complicated as
1: things go on. And one of of the things, one of the core things about these books was I wanted to write a book about um, a girl screwing up really big, like making a really huge mistake for all the right reasons, but making a mistake so big she thought, I'm never going to be able to come back from this. Because I feel like there's so much pressure on girls and young women to be perfect and to not make mistakes. And there's no breathing room. and I, you, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but I think we actually learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do from our successes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think by denying girls and young women chances to make mistake is, mistakes and learn from them, we're denying them huge growth opportunities. So that was one of the premises of the book, that Genevieve, Genevieve was going to turn over the tables thinking she was doing absolutely the right thing and then have it kind of blow up in her face. And then this and second book, Igniting Darkness, is the one of she and Sabella having to try and fix it all and put it back together again.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting. Did you kind of go into this knowing it was going to be a, a two book story? Because that mistake that you're talking about, which we obviously won't say what it is because it's a very big spoiler, um, but it happens like right at the end of the first book. So it's almost like the first book is all building up to this huge pinnacle moment and now the second book is, you know, taking off in from there and like, okay, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we put everything
1: back together? Exactly. Um, well, I knew it was going to be a duology. And the first, okay, so the first draft of Courting Darkness came in at 200,000 words.
0: Wow. And we, yeah.
1: I know, it's scary. And um,
0: what did it end said, up at, if I may ask?
1: I think like 150, maybe 145. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of cutting. And this was like it's it's due to the copy editor in two months, and I'm saying it's. i told my editor it's too long. She goes, "Well, maybe we just trim a paragraph here." And I said, "No, it's like too long by structural magnitudes. I, we've got to restructure." It. And then we t- we actually talked about making it a trilogy, but I think I think books come with their own shape, and it was really two parts of the story. I think even if it was written in one book, if it was if the story was short enough to fit in one book, that would have been the critical midpoint, you know, the, the big midpoint reversal. But um. There was absolutely no way to do it in other than two books. So, yeah. yes, I always knew it was going to be a duology. I didn't know, I've didn't. i never ended a book on quite that kind of a cliffhanger before, yeah. so I felt a little bad. But, again, no other place to end that. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, I actually, when I – because I was at your Seattle event when Courting Darkness came out, and, of course, pre-COVID – and I remember like, that was one of the questions I asked you when I got up to the, the signing table was like, how big of a cliffhanger is this? How much should I wait for <laughs> the book tier to come out? Um, and you, you were honest and said, yeah, it's kind of a cliffhanger. And so I did wait until book oh, was out and it was the best decision. I have ever made. <laughs> so I just binged them both back to back, which was so great.
1: Oh, wow. They were like a month of your life probably. Yeah, um, they're that's big a, that's, books. They are really a, big books. That's a big reading commitment. Yeah. But well, so and then it, cool. it was also hard because it was supposed to come out, like, I think in, like, it was either, I can't remember now, April or May, but then with COVID, it got pushed back. So it was like, it was already going to be a 14-month wait, and then they got, because of COVID, they pushed it back another yeah three months. So it was like,
0: sorry, guys. Right. I know. I know it is hard. Poor readers. I know. <laughs> what I we
1: know.
0: do to them. I know. Um, so that does make me curious. You know, you started with this very, very long 200,000 words and then had to <laughs> cut it back um, and lost, you know, roughly a quarter of it to get to the final book. Is that common for you? Do you tend to write very long first drafts and then have to scale back?
1: You know, it's funny. It's it's common for me now. It didn't used to be. It used to be that I wrote very skinny drafts and would fill them in. But that was also at a point in time when I would they were that was like with my middle grade in particular, they were much shorter books, and I would often do like 10 or 12 drafts as I kind of sketched in almost like, like a watercolor artist doing layers type thing. Hmm. But then once I started writing bigger books, and once they started being on deadline, and once um, the you know the editing on a hard draft and then entering it into the computer is a little bit harder ergonomically than just posing, I started pouring more into my first draft so um, they would be farther along in the process. So instead of like my, my current first drafts are about what it took me three drafts to get to when I wrote shorter drafts. So yes, that's common. That was exceptionally, that was an exception even for me though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I think part of it was, and this was the same thing with the trilogy. There's so much fascinating history and so many fascinating historical characters that it's really easy to lose sight of the one story thread that you're following.
0: Yes. Now I was going to ask if you thought it might have something to do with uh, just research, and I mean, you must just be a wealth of knowledge about this time period. Um, and I, like, I will admit, there have been times in reading the book where I have like jumped onto Wikipedia to be like, <laughs> "Wait, is this a real person?" It is a real person, <laughs> um, and it's. I always, I love discovering that because you really are blurring the line between history and fantasy uh, in a lot of ways, where it is not easy to tell. A lot of times is this real? Is this based in truth? Or did this come out of Robin's imagination? So for you, when you're writing and you're developing these plots, uh, are you really trying very hard to stick to the history and not veer off course? Or do you feel like you can have a little bit more wiggle room for the sake of the story?
1: Well, so first of all, your words, nothing can make me happier than having you say that because that is exactly my goal. I want to weave the history and the stories and the fantasy elements in so so seamlessly that you really can't tell what's real and what's not and you have to go look it up because those are the kind of books that I love. So I really am tickled that that's what your reaction is. And I am very conscious of bring, trying to stick as close to the history as I can, but not... If it means sacrificing the story, mm-hmm. especially in terms of small, small picture things. So like for an example, the Dalbray family, the, um, mm-hmm. the they probably weren't quite as evil in real life as I have painted them in the books. Although there's evidence that they were very ruthless and cunning and underhanded, but whether they actually, I mean, obviously they didn't commit the deeds that I assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't take somebody who was sweet and lovely and turn them into a villain. I took somebody who already had a lot of villainous overtones in their historical account and use, and use that to kind of run with. So I feel like if I think there are some historical books where it's the type of story where you want to steer as close to history. You're trying to actually recreate an event or a person's life in history. And mine was more creating a very realistic historical scenario that my fantasy assassin nun sired by death could then move through in a in a way that felt as real as, you know, our everyday life did. So and I think that's gonna vary from author to author and what your goal is in, in the type of story you're telling. So but for me, I do stay as close to history as possible because I like that sense of it could really have happened, but but I but the story always comes first for me. Mm-hmm.
0: So can you think of any, like, real-life, real-world history that just really fouled you up? And do you ever find yourself being like, oh, why God. did these two people get married? Or why did they have to, you know, pose war against this country? That doesn't work for me at all. <laughs> yeah. You were of the history books?
1: Yeah. So there's um, a Count Del Bray. I kind of wanted to know why he lived so damn long. I was yeah. like, <laughs>
0: kill
1: you off, yes. Yes, I want to I want to kill you off in a much more satisfying way. And there was actually a number of characters I would like to have killed off in a more satisfying way. <laughs> or um the, the fact that um by all historical accounts initially the King of France and the Duchess of Brittany did not have a smooth relationship in the beginning. And part of that made for a good story, but it made me really it did it made the the ending of the, th- the third book in the trilogy kind of false. So that I thought, well, so what does that look, how do you get that, how do you get that ironed out? Mm-hmm. Um, and there
0: That's was. Interesting. Cause you want, you know, the Duchess, she's wonderful. She's one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. and I want a happy ending for her so much, but she's also one of the biggest question marks because right. I know that she is a historical figure and you know queens and duchesses were just kind of passed around as politics suited so it really it must right be difficult.
1: right and she i mean she was a woman of her time and so therefore didn't have it easy in any way whether it was um getting some power in her marriage or being respected by the court or you know luck in childbirth she just she just had a heck of a road so i kept that was that was that actually was a big challenge in history was finding places where i could stop it so it felt like she was going to have a happy ending at least for a, a happy for now ending one of yeah classic right. happy for now endings um but that that was very difficult and all, the other thing was traveling oh my gosh like why do you guys take so long to get from point a to point b that's the the bane of my existence because it's so tedious however However, as you probably well know, when you travel with somebody, you learn a lot about them. So it's a little disingenuous, especially if you're writing a romance, to have the hero and heroine go on a road trip and not cover you can't, I mean texture. Normally you could just do a transition and say two weeks later they arrived in, you know, <laughs>
0: Paris. nothing happened of interest
1: <laughs> yeah but you know you know on the road with those dark nights and that camping on you know camp rolls. I mean you know that things happen and you know mm-hmm. that you learn things about traveling while you are traveling with people and there's st- stress and pressure and boredom and 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 the political um, maneuvering goes on so you have to kind of find a way to make the travel time be interesting enough to that's anyway I mean sometimes it's interesting enough that you can pull it in especially if there's like people getting like first meets and falling in love and then other times you try and transition away as much as you can but it's kind of I think it's the curse of all historical writers how do we cover travel time
0: Mm -hmm. oh that's so interesting I I wouldn't have having not written historical fiction it would not have occurred to me that that is one of the big challenges but it makes so much sense I mean it just took forever to get anywhere
1: yeah and then how much do you bring in their horses i mean people would create you know they'd have a relationship with their amounts usually and so do you Mm -hmm. do you bring that in i mean mean, how much do you show to be realistic and how much do you just leave out because nobody really needs to read the book for that it's such a fine line between yeah do anything although i have to say now though i think that's one thing fan fiction has changed a lot of and that a lot of readers do enjoy those quiet moments of the story that so many writers were trained to ignore and not include because they weren't, you know, driving the story forward. But I find that many readers like those quiet moments in much more strongly than I would have thought. Do you find that also?
0: I do. And I know, you know, especially when you're writing a series that has, you know, bigger casts, ensemble casts um, of which we, we both have done. I feel like readers just get so invested in the characters that they want to know them so deeply. And those quieter moments where they're all, you know, just sitting around a campfire or in my case, sitting on a spaceship chatting, (laughs) you know, I think that there's something to that. It kind of gives readers that moment of feeling that they're just a part of it. They're just hanging out with their friends. Um, And so I agree. I think that it's not you know, the, the horrible must cut this from the manuscript thing that we were kind of taught that it was.
1: Exactly. And I also think those quieter moments are when bonding happens or when we reveal parts of ourselves when we make ourselves more vulnerable and all those things go into developing the relationship with the character. So I think they're important, um, Mm -hmm. but they're just, just a challenge.
0: Yeah. I also think, you know, as far as serving the story, a lot of great character development and, and kind of pushing the character on their arc toward wherever they're heading can happen in those moments as well.
1: Interesting. In the quiet moments. Mm-hmm. Through, through the relationship or the conversations they're having or through like their own internal um, yeah, epiphanies wow. or...
0: Both. I think that it can be very revealing um, to the readers to show, you know, what is it that this character is experiencing right now? What is it that they're moving toward, hoping to accomplish? And even seeing how they're relating to the other characters. And that can and does change over the course of a story. And it can be hard to show those things when they're all running for their lives all the time.
1: Exactly. And I also think that in conversations, I think one of the things that's most fascinating to me as a reader, and I'm assuming many readers, especially when there's um, a romance involved, is, you know, the power flipping back and forth. Like, who's got the upper hand in this relationship? Who's, who's exposing themselves more? Who's got more on the line? And I think in quiet conversations, you can actually have a lot of that power flipping. Um, you know, who, who gets the upper hand? Who's exposed themselves a little more than they wanted to? Mm-hmm. That can that can, can create that same kind of dramatic buy-in that some of the bigger action scenes can if you if you if you pay attention and, and make sure.
0: Yeah. No. Definitely. And as listeners of this podcast know, I am all for the romance. It's <laughs> yes, my me favorite too. thing. And you write exceptional romances. Um, my, my personal favorite is Anath and Balthazar. They are, I just love them so, so much. Um, but all of your couples and the development of them and the tension between them is just really, I mean, it, it's, it's top of the top um, in my book. So that brings me to my question. What are your secrets? How do you do it?
1: Oh, Wow. <laughs> so you, you okay you know that's like a three-day workshop right
0: i know i know exactly <laughs> give me the <laughs> the cliff's notes version
1: <laughs> so part of it is um boy how do i i took this great workshop um a few years ago like i don't know eight years ago at an rwa conference it was led by michael haig who's a string, screenwriter and he talks about relationships and, he, like his, and his big question is why this person and why that person? What is it about this person that makes them fall in love? What is it about this person that makes trust such an issue because we've all been... I mean, so it's a matter of really just drilling down into the characters and saying, why does Ismay trust men? Why would she not trust men? Why would she be suspicious of all men? And, and, and why would she not ever be willing to put that aside? And it has to be, it has to be grounded in actual real events that, and for me, I have to actually write those events, even if it's just backstory, but I can't just say, oh, well, you know, she had a crowded family life. I have to actually, I actually have to, I do a lot of pre-writing and that's where I kind of like actually flesh out the actual event where it, it hardened her into that worldview. Um, Because I feel like that just shapes how they view everything else. So then I think, well, so who would be a good foil to that? Who's going to be able to see through that? And so, for me, I think one of the things that moves the needle on relationships is being truly truly seen for who you are. I think I think so many of us have the masks or roles that we play or um just kind of move through the world um, on a fairly surface level and it's always very sometimes we're intentionally trying to hide who we are and sometimes who we are just kind of gets buried by our daily things. And I think it's always kind of a shock when someone truly sees us and it can be terrifying it can be exhilarating it can be both um and i think when somebody sees us truly and sees their sees maybe the best the best version of ourselves that we want to be i think that's really a key component of of a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. and i think um so michael haig talks about it as our essence and our persona so the persona is who we present to the world so with ismay she's an angry chip on her shoulder I am going to do what the convent tells me and to get the heck out of my way kind of person. That's, that's her persona, but she has a much um, different essence um, of who she really is. And that that sort of speaks to more like, if you ask the questions, like what does a character want versus what they need? And it speaks more to what her emotional needs are. Mm -hmm. And then you just find somebody who's going to really um, play havoc with that (laughs) and (laughs) and force, force the other character to have to, sort of un, not against their will get comfortable with their own vulnerabilities because circumstance has forced them to have to and um and that's my favorite thing is is it's stripping away the layers the, uh, the protective layers each of the two characters have built a little bit at a time and then seeing how that changes the first character's opinion and saying oh okay well, maybe he's not an asshole after all he's just he's just maybe a a mild jerk. Oh wait, no, he's loyal. Damn it! I love loyalty, but you know that, that sort of slow, reluctant. Okay, there's things I like about you, and I really don't want to. Type thing, um, which is I think why I like to write enemies to lovers, or or at least not wild about
0: mm-hmm. two
1: lovers, because I think there's um, you get to you get to play with that more. You get to sort of strip away those those protective behaviors and sort of poke at the scars and the, and the, and the, you know, the scars view, shape how we view the world and how we think we matter in the world. And a good love interest is going to help you see past the scars to who you really are and then encourage that and support that and love that. And again, I feel like I'm sort of wandering the weeds with this answer, but it's, um, but so that's, but that's, so you, yeah. Maybe no. ask me a salvage me salvage this by asking me <laughs> a, a clarifying question. <laughs> no, no, no. I
0: I love that. I mean, I love the way of of thinking about. It. I hadn't heard um, persona versus essence, but wow. that makes sense to me, and and you know that clicks in my brain. As far as not just even for just writing, but like you say in real life, we kind yes. of go through life that way as well um, Where the the person you're putting forth isn't always the, the person underneath and Yeah, I, I, I like the way of thinking about that and of romance and that is one of the things that's most enjoyable or most satisfying I think both as a reader and as a writer is when you do start to see those layers peeled away and see those vulnerabilities come forward and all of the emotions that are dredged up from that um, is, is can be very powerful. And of course it's it's one of my favorite things to see is, is how the characters come together and react as they're falling
1: in love. And that's, and it's one of my favorite things to write. And so Michael Haig also talks about how, you know, what, we all, all of us have these fears and we have these early ch- childhood scars and sometimes they're traumatic and sometimes they're just from normal everyday growing up. But then we have these wounds and we form these scar tissues around them. And that scar tissue is to protect us from having to feel that pain again. And so this is, he has this whole great um, thing he does about it. And it, it just, it's, it's, it's so, deeply based in human nature that it really works for me in, in seeing my characters. I sure. found it incredibly helpful. helpful.
0: Um, so one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about today is just kind of writing in 2020. Um, I know on your Instagram, you have had in the last couple of months some really wonderful, inspirational posts. At least they've been very inspirational for me. Uh, when well, you've talked about just kind of how... You've been coping with things and how your writing process has been changing over the course of this year, uh, kind of as your own creative and emotional needs have been changing. And I just think it's so helpful to hear that other writers are experiencing the same sort of things that I'm experiencing um, and to hear what other people are doing to combat that. So I would love it if you could talk just a little bit about writing in 2020, how is it different this year compared to past years and Mm -hmm. what strategies have been working for you?
1: That's a great question because writing in 2020 is such a challenge. Um, So I started out 2020 knowing that I was burnt out. Um, And I also included uh, on my Instagram that you refer to, I, I had a post about this amazing book and YouTube series on burnout that I highly recommend any writer who's struggling right now or pretty much anybody in 2020 really to go check out because I think we're all pretty close to burnout at this point. Um, And it was really helpful for me to recognize that I was creatively burnout and kind of give me some tools for understanding how to kind of come back from that. So that was, that was like the first half of 2020 for me was like kind of recovering from creative burnout and not putting too much expectations on myself which would have worked out better if we hadn't had a pandemic because, yeah. and then, you know, uh, this sort of incredibly polarized political climate because I wanted to escape into a, writing a book. Um, so I kind of tried to jump back on the writing bandwagon a little sooner, just just to have the, the place to go hide from the world in. But, mm-hmm. but one of the things in this um, burnout workshop they talked about was, Go back and think. to When was the last time you were you were creating happily and you were in the flow? And what was that like? What were your circumstances like? What were your you know what were was your writing process like? What was your household like? What were the demands on your time? And that was so helpful for me to do some journaling on that and realize um, what was different and what I could change. And um, and so I realized like um, my husband had been working full time, both the kids were away at college. And I had like the house to myself 40 hours a day. And with, with the pandemic, that wasn't the case. My husband was home a lot more. Um, and there, I also learned that I, I um, there's some great personality tests out there that can sort of help you understand. And I learned that stability is a really big thing for me. So if, if things are really unstable, it's really hard for me to lose myself in my writing. Mm. Um, so I need to find ways to... To make my daily life as stable as possible, even if there's, you know, dumpster fires going on around me. And so for me, one of the biggest ways to do that is, and this is going to be too extreme for some people, is I do not even look at my phone or my email until I get my writing done that day. So there are many days I don't get on, on Twitter or Facebook or even look at my email until like 3 or 30 or 4 in the afternoon because if I do, my brain just becomes so fractured I cannot get back to that place. Um which makes which makes me a really crappy email correspondent and, <laughs> and and a very sporadic um social media poster. Um and of course an exception is made for family, but but that's that's pretty much um what I do. But but even that wasn't working. So I had, I think I mentioned in one post, I had all these great ideas and ones I couldn't wait to work on, and I was doing all this pre-writing and, but my brain could not get quiet enough to to work on them. Um, and also, to be honest, there was a lot of research involved in world building because they all had a, a fantasy historical element to them. So one of the things I do as a writer is I, I always take like a hard left about every five or six years. I just I just kind of, and so my brain said, you know, tap, tap, it's time to take a hard left. And so um, without really even thinking about it, like I said in my post, I just started a story idea I've had for 10 years, just kind of shut up my brain and I went to go I thought I was going to start jotting down things about structure and how it might work out, but I actually wrote like the actual story, which kind of surprised me. And, but that's, but that's how I used to write like, like 10, 12 years ago when I was writing my middle grade and and first starting grade for Mercy, that's how I started writing those books. I would just start, start writing the story and I would kind of pause and, and do some of this pre-writing stuff or pause and figure out things along the way. But it was much more organic. Part of that was because I had more time to have the ideas stew for for months or years. And this idea has been suing for a long time. Plus it's a contemporary. So there isn't a lot of research I need to do. I don't have to build a whole world. Um, and it's, it's writing much more in the way I did when I first started. And it's, I'm really enjoying it. And it's really working for me because it's, there's a lot less. Um, it's, it's, it's also much more relationship driven. There's not a whole lot of, I'm, I'm pretty happy to not be writing politics, to be really honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my fill of court intrigue for just a little while. I can Um, get that. Yep. Yeah. And so it just feels good to focus on the relationships and the silliness and the whimsy and the, um, the banter and the guy being a grumpy SOB and the girls saying, Oh no, you aren't. And you know, just, just, Mm -hmm, I just, just the, the human part, just the human part. And I think, I think because in times of, high instability. And because when life's a trash fire, it's, it's our humanists that gets us through, whether it's writing about humans or the humans we reach out to. And I think writing a book that's focusing so much on that mm-hmm. is helping. It's like, it's like being able to go sit down with a couple of great friends for a couple hours every day um, and sort of get that same kind of feeding connection that I would when I talk to a good friend or family member. Right. Um, right. So, so I guess and how that would translate for other writers is now is the time. And that's why it was so fun to hear in the introduction, you talk about your, your nano project, you're writing on something that's, that's totally feeding you and your creativity. I think, I think frankly in 2020, that needs to be like the most, that's the number one writing advice, write Whatever is going to feed you in whatever way that means for some, it might be writing, fighting the trash fires and others might be escaping into just the pure human relationships, but, but whatever, is going to feed you and sustain you during these really kind of crazy times. That's absolutely where you should be focusing your writing entries. Sorry, all those publishers and editors who have books coming in on deadline. I'm going to say, you know, publishing is kind of totally off kilter anyway with this deadline. So trust me on this. Your writers need to be writing what feeds them right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I think it'll be a lot. Of, there'll be a lot of interesting conversations happening between authors and editors here in the next. 12 months.
1: Yeah. I, know I, con- I, know, I know I contracted to write a dystopian, you know, sort of Hunger Games reliving thing, but I switched it. <laughs> I just it and couldn't wrote do it. Middle grade, you know, <laughs> my friend, little pony fanficers. Right. Know, whatever, whatever, whatever is going to bring you comfort and joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely, I, I feel like I'm hearing you say that you're just kind of letting inspiration guide you um, as opposed to, You know, writing what you feel like you maybe should be writing, or what your publisher or readers want from you, Um, and absolutely, yeah. Hearing that correctly, I feel like it's exactly the same sort of place that I'm in right now. Yeah, Um, and it it does seem to be helping for sure.
1: Oh, good. And also for me, it kind of makes sense logically because I just finished up this big, you know, either five book series or two (laughs) part. (laughs) <laughs> 2 part, whatever but you know so i just i just sort of closed the door on this this world so it's it's clear i'm going to be moving in some different direction i'm not going back there at least not for a while um because never say never um right so i i think it's not really going to be surprising to people that i'm working on something different i think how different this is um i mean not even the same age group or genre really is is but and i don't even know if it'll get published it's just what's making me happy now
0: mm-hmm well, good, good. And, and I hope it continues to bring much joy.
1: Yes, me too.
0: Um, okay, Robin, we are going to wrap this up with our happy writer lightning round.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about those.
0: Okay. <laughs> let me, let me get in my, let me get, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. First question. What book makes you happy?
1: Mm. So I've been doing a lot of comfort readings with 2020 and the book that makes me happy is Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase, which is a really old historical romance, which is perfection. It's just absolute historical romance perfection. Lord of Scoundrels.
0: Lord of Scoundrels. I love that title. Anything with scoundrel in the title
1: must be a winner.
0: (laughs) What do you do to celebrate an accomplishment?
1: I have three chocolate truffles. Why three? Well, because if I have more than that, I can eat the whole bag. So three feels like it's it's a treat, but not like. Well, like what are you talking about? Like a daily accomplishment or like a big no, life
0: accomplishment? No, 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 no. I mean, your 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 answer was perfectly legitimate. I'm just curious. The three number feels very specific, and I'm wondering is if there's a, a symbolic reason behind it's because, three.
1: It's because I'm not supposed. To, I'm eating a lot of sugar. Isn't great for me. So three truffles has. Is, is indulgent but doesn't tip over my sugar my I, sugar alarms.
0: A practical response. <laughs> yes. How do you fill the creative well?
1: Gosh, is anybody filling the creative well in 2020? <laughs> we're trying. Uh, I know, we're trying. So a um,
0: question. I love
1: hearing. What do you do? How do you do it? So one of the ways okay, so one of this isn't normally how i feel the creative world but one of the things has been i have a couple of writing friends who are just an absolute joy to talk to so having getting on the phone and talking with them for two hours about their project or my project or just writing in general or what we thought about this book and kind of dissecting it has been just a lifesaver it just it mm-hmm. it it I, I get off the phone buoyant from that and it goes back to that human human connection is what's feeding me creatively right now, whether it's writing human connection in my book or, or or forging that in the real world. Right now, for this year in particular more so than other years, it's the human connection that's really Yeah. Feeling that well.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes sense to me. Um I feel like I think this year with all the isolation, it feels more imperative to be making as many connections as we can.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so too.
0: What advice would you give to help someone become a happier
1: writer? So this isn't going to be a popular answer, but it would be to um, write for yourself. I mean, I, 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 people. There's always a big discussion about whether you should write for yourself or write for your audience, and the yeah But I think first we 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 are our first audience, so we have to write something we love. And I think don't be so eager to. I mean, and this is probably easier for me to say having published books because I know I know as unpublished author, I would hear somebody say this, oh, easy for you to say, but there's a freedom of writing a book either on spec without being on contract or writing a book before you sold it where you're in charge and there's nobody breathing over your shoulders. There's nobody kind of thinking. It's just, there's a lot of freedom in that and um, use whatever means necessary to buy yourself as much creative freedom as you can. Mm. I'll try and encapsulate it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and very important that it has to come from you first.
1: It it really does. I mean, I, one of the best pieces of advice I got was to write the story you want to read that you can't find. And yes. that's kind of what I did with the his fair assassin books. It's like there's certain types of stories I love, they're just they just not enough of them out there that I'm able to find. So I think that's really great advice because if you love it, probably other people do too and there's a, probably a market for it yeah um, and and then it'll it feed you because it's something you love
0: mm-hmm. no i I forget I mean I've heard that also, and I think it's a very succinct but really wonderful way of you know choosing what you want to do and what you want to put your time into
1: Yes, oh, the other thing to do to be a happier writer is take the pressure off yourself. Do not tell yourself you have to be published by twenty five or thirty or forty or whatever. Yeah. just just take those take those external pressures off because they just aren't going to help
0: lastly where can people find you
1: i'm most active on instagram and my instagram handle is rl not robin fevers because all my social media is under rl because that's why i started writing middle grade under so i'm that's where i'm most active although i haven't been real absent the last few weeks but um i I have a website robinlefevers.com that i update occasionally um Oh, see, I'm so terrible. This is why I write 200,000 word graphs. <laughs> because... yeah. And I'm I'm really sorry. I was so bad at the lightning part of the lightning round.
0: Oh, don't <laughs> we? No, truly, nobody treats it like a lightning round. I should come up with something else to call it.
1: <laughs> no, I, I love the idea of it because I do like that fun, quick, the fun. Well, yeah, no, I, I think it's yeah. a great idea. I, I just.
0: I think the problem is in my questions. I need to be like, you know, tea or coffee. <laughs> Hard oh. you know and then you know that's a lightning round but whatever it's my podcast
1: it's your podcast <laughs> that's a great podcast by the way i really oh, enjoyed listening to it i appreciate that, is, that. that's yeah. another thing that's given me joy in 2020 is listening to all, you talk to all these amazing writers and hear what they have to say and hear about their processes that's that's like it's the next best thing to connecting with these writers in real life so thank you for that well
0: thank you it has certainly brought me a lot of joy so i'm happy to hear that it is it is helping uh and that is Thank you so much for joining me today, Robin.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was it was so much fun.
0: Readers, be sure to check out Robin's newest duology uh, or the whole His Fair Assassin trilogy slash quintet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but her newest her newest books, Courting Darkness and Igniting Darkness, are both available now. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local independent bookstore if you can, but if you don't have a local indie, you can also check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org shop Marissa Meyer. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would love it if you subscribed, and please help us spread the word to other readers and writers. You can find us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy and cozy in your bunkers. And whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.